Will you bow your heads with me and let us pray? God, we are thankful. Or rather, rather, God, this is my prayer this morning. I am thankful that I have found a new church family. I am thankful that it's in Orange County. And I am thankful that we can all be here this morning. And so now, God, as, as you've worked with me over the last couple of weeks with the text this morning, I pray that um, it would open up the hearts and the minds of my new friends here in Orange. And we pray that wherever we are broken, that you would begin to mend us. Wherever we are empty, um, you would fill us. We thank all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning, I want to begin the only way I know how. So if you would open up your Bibles to the book of First Samuel. We're going to start there, and then we're going to make some connections. So First Samuel, First Samuel chapter 14, verse 1. I'll give it a second. I have the, I have the text on the screen, so we'll just give it a second. It'll be, I promise you it's easier to follow. I, um, I didn't used to use PowerPoints, and then I started using them on a weekly basis. And then my fiancé, Kim, one time when I didn't use it, she says, you definitely need the PowerPoint. I'm not really sure if that's a commentary on our society that we need visual aids or that I just was that boring that I lost her that day. But you don't get your money back with me. You're stuck with me for a while. So we're going we're gonna to work on this one. So no more jokes. First, um, First Samuel 14, verse 1, and this is where it says, this is what it says, One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor. And then we're going to stop right there. One day. Now, in the Hebrew, one day is literally translated into one day. It was just an ordinary day like any other day. Have you ever noticed that when you wake up in the mornings, it's like every other day? With a few exceptions, if you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, then if you're a child, your mom will tell you what side of the bed did you wake up on? Or to your husband, I suppose. Never to the wives, because wives always seem to have it together, yes? Or will I find out in a couple of months? <laughs> Kim's perfect. <laughs> but every day begins just like any other day, doesn't it? Every day, most of us, we wake up, we brush our teeth, we take showers, we eat breakfast, we get dressed, not necessarily in that order. We go to work, we go to school, we go back to bed and go back to sleep. Whatever it is, our days begin the same exact way for the most part. But what is it that makes one day different than all the other days? Because when you're a child, do you think to yourself, I can't wait until I'm an adult so I can get into a routine that's very mundane and mediocre, and I have to get up and go to work just so I can afford the house and the car that I, I need to actually get to work? Like, have you ever noticed that? We work in order to live. Some of us just to barely live. When you're a child, do you, do you, do you dream of just settling into that kind of a life? Or as children, do we wish and hope and aspire to something even better? Which is it? Better? And yet every single day, from the moment you're born to the moment you're dead, with very few exceptions, begins very much the same, like an ordinary day. This story begins where one day, Jonathan, what does the text say? One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, the son of the king, said to the young man who carried his armor, one day. It's an ordinary day like any other day in your life. The thing that makes one day different than all the other days is what? Is it God? Maybe. That's the right answer, though, yes. Whenever, is it God? Yes, always. It's not just God. 
It's what makes one day different than all the other days is the decisions that you make within that day that will make one day different, better, and more extraordinary than all the other days. On this one particular day, Jonathan does something that would change, in essence, would change history as we know it as Christians. On this one particular day that started like any other day, and I know I'm being repetitive, but I have, they say that the best learning tool is repetition, so I'm going to be very repetitive over the next 20 years that I'm here. I, don't, I like Orange County. I come, I, the last day that I was in El Centro, it was 115 degrees. So I'm not going anywhere. What makes one day different than any other day is what you decide to make with that day. It's the decisions that you make in that day. A day doesn't become ordinary. It doesn't just happen to you. It's what you make happen within the moments that God has given you on this earth. You and I are given a gift. That gift is life. And you can either waste it away and set into a routine that is just extremely meaningless, or you can say, enough is enough. I will live the life that I feel God is moving me and calling me to live. Because sometimes it's harder to live the life that you have now than to actually try to make something better. You see, we live in a society, I think, and and this is a social commentary on, I guess, where we live in the United States, maybe in the world where we, we, it's almost as though we are looking for the opportune time to do something, right? Like, when I get to this point in my life, then I will be able to do this. When I, when I graduate from high school, then I will be able to do something better with my life, or I'm going to go to college. When I graduate from college, then I will be able to get a job, and then I will actually be able to do the stuff that I've been talking about for the last four or five years, And when you get a job, you think to yourself, when I get promoted, then I'm going to be able to do what I've always wanted to do. And what happens in our lives, I think, and what I've seen in my own life, is that we're always waiting for the right time, the perfect time, the most opportune time to do something. But the reality is, for those of you who are more advanced in years than than some of us, you know that, is there an opportune time for everything? Like, like, is there one set, like, like, one time that is going to be better for you to do what you've always wanted to do or to make this day better than others? No. There isn't one opportune time for something. You get to decide when that is. And so for Jonathan, the son of Saul, on this one particular day, he decides to do something that would change everything. And so in order, and if you don't believe me, if you think to yourself, this guy is just giving us a bunch of, of um, self-help babble. This guy, you know, he doesn't know anything. He's still young. He doesn't have enough gray hair or he hasn't lived enough life. Um, I assure you that I've had experiences in my life that have forced me to understand that it's what I make with the life that I've been given rather than let it just happen to me. But if that's not enough for you, because you don't know me and you don't, you know, you're still, you're, the decision's like this, 50-50. Are we going to like this guy or not? I'll let you take the words of somebody that I hope you do get a chance to like and get to know. So if you look at John chapter 7, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, So his brothers said to him, Leave here, Jesus, and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. Jesus was changing water into wine. He was giving blind people sight. He was healing crippled people. I mean, Jesus was doing some amazing things. And so his brothers, his friends, they said, If you want people to actually believe in who you are, you have to show yourself. And so they said, you have to go to Judea. And verse 4 says, For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. So isn't that true? 
If you want people to know who you are, if you want people to know what you're doing, if you want people to know what you're selling, you have to put it out there, right? Like, okay, for instance, um, reality TV, right? Reality TV, it's people's exposing their lives to the whole world, and, and they get famous as a result of that. And when you get famous, then you get to do all sorts of other things. But I think what people get addicted to in reality TV, the, the reality stars, which were previously just normal people, who all of a sudden have become famous because of their lives that they portray on TV, I think what happens is they get addicted to the fame and the limelight and the money that comes with that. I'm assuming, I don't know. But they expose their lives to people. And his disciples were saying, you have to expose your life to the other people, Jesus, because if you don't, they are not going to know what you are about or what you are here to do. And so Jesus responds, well, and then they said, for not, even his brothers, for not even his brothers believed in him. Has that ever happened to you? Like even your own family doesn't really believe in you or you just don't get along with your family sometimes? I think that's just growing up, though. <laughs> I think that's just how it's supposed to be so we can give our parents a hard time. For not even his brothers believed in him. Now, this is the line, if you underline your Bibles, I would suggest that you underline. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. Jesus says, I know what I've come to do. Jesus knew he, he had the power and the ability to do all things. Jesus was the kind of guy who didn't have to wait for an opportune time to do something. He, he had the powers to do anything. And yet he tells his disciples, my time has not yet come. I'm not ready. It's not time. Just back off and relax. To which then Jesus says what? But your time is always here. Which means your time is now. It's today. It's tomorrow. It's the next day. It's that as long as you have breath in your life and you're consciously thinking your time to do something meaningful, to do something good, to do something amazing, to do something with the gift that God has given you, your time is always here. For Jesus, there are no excuses. Because if we, if, we don't, if, we, if we have forgotten the story, Jesus is the one who is resurrected from the dead. Jesus is the one who conquers death. Jesus is the one who does the impossible and then establishes it as the way things will be from now on. Jesus. The disciples of Jesus, they mock death and they say, death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? The thing that you and I, perhaps, the only thing that we cannot change in our lives, which is death, Jesus defeats that, which means that you and I no longer even have to fear death. The eternal kind of death, of course. I don't want to be peddling the wrong kind of message here. But for Jesus, he says, you don't have to wait for anything. Your time is now. Your opportunity is in front of you. You have to seize the opportunities that are given to you. You have to do it now. There are no more excuses. When, I, when it's my time to do what I've come to do, I will do it. But don't worry about me. Worry about yourself. How many times do we worry about all the other people that aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing? And yet we sometimes forget that we have to look into the mirror to remind ourselves that we have to be doing what we have to be doing. It's easy to point the finger, but Jesus points the finger right back, up, right back at us and says, your time is always here. Your time. 
is always here. The question that I would then ask you is, so what are you waiting for? Some of you may not be waiting and are doing it, but I have a feeling that even in my own life, I look for excuses not to do what God is calling me to do. Sometimes it's out of fear. Like, if I do this, it might not work out. If I pursue this and I take initiative and I do this, I might get rejected. If I take initiative and things go bad, sometimes it's embarrassing when things don't go the way you want them to. Isn't that true? Yeah, okay, so I have a quick illustration because I don't know what time we normally get out of here. Um, I'm going to shoot for 12, but sometimes we'll go over. And um, at my last church, we would tell people that if we went over 12, we would give them food. So on potluck days, I sometimes would go a little bit over. And I have some friends here from El Centro you'll meet afterwards, um, so you can ask them, which it's true. <laughs> but, but the reality, and, and, and I totally, that's why you don't go off track, because I forgot where I was going with this. Can somebody help me? Yeah, an illustration. Sometimes when we take initiative, things can go wrong, and sometimes things could go well. So this is what happens. Here's an illustration. When I came out of seminary, I was offered a job in Brawley and El Centro, right? Have any of you ever been to Brawley and El Centro that, that are not from there currently? Have you ever gone back? <laughs> Only one person, and very rarely. <laughs> but the reality is, when I, got, when I got out of seminary, I was given a job, and Southeastern California Conference is the best conference in the world to work for. And um, I was excited to start, and so that's where I started. I started a, a pastoring a two-church district. I was, in all, in all essence, I was a senior pastor, but, you know, sole pastor is what I was technically called. And um, it... You kind of get forgotten when you're over there. I think sometimes even our own families forget us because it's so far away. It's just like, it's hot and it's literally in the middle of nowhere. You drive for hours to get there and when you finally get there, you're like, this is it? Do you have anything other than this? So anyways, that's just an illustration. That's just a a setting up the story. So here we go. So when I was out there, I I decided, I, I came to a church that the people were really lovely, but it was a church where... You know, we wanted to get things going, and so we started moving and shaking things, and we started doing things, and the church started to grow, and people were just happy to be at church. And it wasn't because of me. It was because the people were, had been given a voice to do something. And so the church was, it was going pretty well, and so I decided, I thought to myself, I need to take some initiative here in my life. Like I had just listened to a sermon about a guy talking about initiative, and I said, I have to take initiative in my life. So what I did is I called my boss, my supervisor, and I told her, hey, I want to come and meet with you, and I want to tell you about some of the stuff that's happening in El Centro. Now, I'm not a self-promoter. I don't want you to think that. Initiative and self-promoting is not the same thing, but I felt like we're forgotten in the Imperial Valley, okay? Some of you never even heard of that place. And so I came up. I put a, I put a presentation together, and I made it look professional. I put it in like a little binder type thing for, for, um, for uh, presentations. I did all kinds of stuff. I dressed up in a tie, which I don't normally do during the week. I mean, I was... I was you know, I thought I was looking pretty good, okay? Because I tried. I tried is what I mean. And so I, I went there. I go there, and I'm ready to meet. But here's, here's the thing. You think that this story is about how then the conference saw how good of a pastor I was, and then they affirmed me, and then they moved me up to Orange. That was the point. <laughs> but on this one day that I decided to take initiative, also happens to be the day that my life would change forever. It also happened to be the day that I met my future wife. On this one particular day, 
that I, I was like, you know, even if I look like a fool and I go and talk to my supervisor and she's just like patting me on the back and says, yeah, good job, now go back. Whatever it took, I was going to go. What I didn't know that God had in store for me is that I would meet the woman that I will marry in a few months. And it has changed my life forever. On a day that started like any other day, I decided to take initiative and do something with the time that I was given, and now God has used it and shaped my life forever, and it is shaping your life as well. There is no, there, there is no uh, random decision, I don't believe. I believe that things are working and things are moving in a certain direction, and you and my, all of our lives are now interconnected. We are interdependent, not codependent, but we are now interdependent on each other because now you and I make up the body of Christ in orange. We are interconnected for life now. And so Jesus, he says, your time is now. Take initiative. Do something with the time that you have been given because if you don't, you will be on your deathbed years from now looking back, hoping you had done things different. If you don't do something with your life, you can. there's two groups of people. You will either see life pass you by and you're a spectator or you will be actively engaged in, the, in how your life turns out and you cannot blame anybody else for that. And so we go back to the story and this is what Jonathan says. Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side, so the army. But he did not tell his father. Obviously, when we children do something that we know our parents won't approve of, what do we do? We don't tell them. Which, by the way, if you still live at home, you should always tell your parents everything. (laughs) Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Now, that's, that's kind of like an insult. Let us go over to these uncircumcised, like these fools, these losers. I don't know. He says, it may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Is there something that jumps out of you at this story? There's a phrase. It's not uncircumcised. There's a phrase in here. Even before that, then even stronger, something stronger there. When you're 100% certain of something in your life, do you use the words, maybe? It may be. (laughs) Jonathan was hoping that God would help him by the nothing will hinder the Lord but yet he wasn't 100% sure that God was actually going to come through for him. And so I have, a, I have a picture. If you're going to jump out of an airplane with a parachute, are you 100% sure that that parachute's going to open? You're hoping. <laughs> you're hoping that it's going to open, but there are times where it won't. But once you jump, it's no longer up to you or anyone else. It's just, is that parachute going to open? Maybe. It may be that it will open. When Jonathan makes a decision in his life to do something about something that particular day, he then goes and tells the only other guy that's going to go fight a bunch of Philistines, maybe the Lord will help us. It may be that God will help us. This is a lesson for you and me today. The thing you have in your heart to do, the thing you're passionate about, when you leap leap and you do it, there is a chance that it won't work out. There is a chance that it won't work out. However, if you live like Jonathan and you say it may be that the Lord will help us for he can save us, it doesn't matter how many of us it is, God will work for us, nothing will hinder God. Even if you fail, 
at least you know you had enough faith to do what your heart was calling you to do. And even if you fail, I guarantee you, you won't stop. You will keep moving forward and doing something with your life, with the life that God has given you. Is this making sense? Are you tracking? And so we go on with the story. And then the story later goes on to say, if, if, but if they say, Philistines, come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. Okay, what's the story telling about? If they say, come up to us, once they're already in the battle, depending where we fight them, he says, then we will know if God is with us or God is against us. Isn't it too late? Once you're already face-to-face, if God's not with you, what's going to happen? For them, you might die. But that, was the, that risk was worth it to Jonathan. That risk was worth it to Jonathan because he would not sit back and allow a Philistine army to bully the Israelites around. And he wouldn't know if God was with him until when? Until it was already too late. This is a lesson and take an initiative in your life. You have to live your life as though God will always be faithful to you no matter what. There is a text that reminds us that there is nothing that will separate you and I from the love of God. Nothing. Now, if the Bible says it, I tend to believe it, which means that even the worst thing you could ever do in your life will still not separate you from the love of God, which means that no matter who you've hurt, or who you've sinned against, or what sins that you have committed, that will never separate you from the love of God. What will separate you from the love of God? Essentially nothing. Unless, of course, you don't want to be a part of God's life. Even then, I believe God still will try. We have to learn to live as though God will always be there for us no matter what. And even when we have to take a leap of faith and do what we feel God is calling us to do, you have to do it as though God will always be there for you. And so I have a final biblical illustration for this, I believe. Daniel chapter 3. I'll read this and I'll explain the story. If this be so, okay, let me actually go back. There's a story in, in the book of Daniel where there was these three Hebrew guys who weren't a part of the Egyptian kingdom or Babylon, right? They were taken from their home. They were literally, like, kidnapped, taken to this place called Babylon. And the king, Nebuchadnezzar, decides to erect this big statue, right? And the idea was this. In in those days, the kings were also considered um, gods. So he was the god king. So his word was law. And so what would happen is that his, his, like, his officials said, look, when we play music, let's make it so that everybody has to bow down to you. And if somebody chooses not to bow down, then we will burn them, literally throw them in a furnace with fire. And the king says, okay, that sounds good to me. So they play this music one day, and it just so happens that three Hebrew men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, decide they will not bow down. Because bowing down to this king is like saying, you are God, and the God we believe in is not. And so the the officials, they come to the king and they say, King, look, you said that whoever doesn't bow down to you is going to get killed, right? Thrown into the fiery furnace. So we have these three guys who are not bowing down to you. And the king's like, well, get rid of them. And so the king talks to them and he says, look, I'll give you one more chance because these guys were bright. They were the top of the class. I mean, these guys, I mean, these guys were the elite, right? They were smarter than everybody. They understood everything better. They, I mean, they learned the Babylonian culture. They, I mean, they were leaders, 
and they refuse to bow down. And so the king gives them one more chance, and he says, come on, do it. And so here's the, where we pick up the story. And they respond by this. If this be so, our God, throw us into the furnace. Um, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, are they 100% sure? In their hearts and in their minds, they believe God will do this, but there's a chance that they will not. And yet they go on and say, But if not, be it known to you, king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. But if not. You see, we think that the life of faith, if we follow Christ, everything is going to fall into place. Is that really how it happens? Life is still difficult when you are a devoted follower of Jesus. Stuff still happens like we wish it didn't happen when we are followers of Jesus. The scripture is filled with stories of followers of Jesus, in essence, being killed. Life doesn't doesn't get easier when you are a follower of Jesus. It just means that because you're a follower of Jesus, you have more faith, more courage to take initiative and actually do something in your life. Because God, nothing can hinder him, whether by few or by many. God will work in your life, and he will bring you forward. But you have to have the faith and the initiative to do something with the life that God has given you. The stories we looked at this morning, they didn't know if God was going to work for them until they were already in the situation and, and when it was already too late. Sometimes we, you and I, have to learn to live our lives as though it doesn't matter what happens. If I feel like God is calling me to do this, I'm going to do that because not doing it would be worse. On this one particular day in the life of Jonathan, he decides something that would change his life. This is not just Jonathan's story, but this is also my story. I took initiative one day, and it has changed my entire life for the better. I guarantee you that the more and more you take initiative in your life to do something with the life that God has given you, I guarantee you, you will be better for it, even if it's not easy, even if it's hard, and even if you fail sometimes. The story of redemption is that even if you fail, God allows you to get back up and keep walking. The story of redemption is that God's already won. Are you on his team? Right? God's already won. He's already defeated. He's defeated the evil one. We have to live a life as though we believe that's true. Don't give Satan any more power than he needs it. You got to say, devil, whatever. You're there. Leave me alone. I will not allow you to mess up my life because my trust is in the one who's already defeated you. No one wants to be on a losing team, right? Generally, no one plays a sport to lose, right? No one runs a race to get second place. I'm kind of competitive. (laughs) And it's the same with life. You don't want to just be You don't want to just be stuck with good enough. You want the very best. God created you to live the very best life. And so this morning, I just invite you, and I'm not not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to do any of that stuff. This morning, I just want to invite you, if, if you are the person who says, I'm 
I don't want good enough anymore. I want the life that God has called me to live. I just want you to open your hearts to God this morning. It's a hard decision because sometimes that decision means you have to cut stuff out of your life. You have to let some things die that are just holding you back. There are destructive tendencies in all of our lives, and sometimes we have to just put those destructive things aside and say, I no longer want to live this life. If that's you, I just want you to open your hearts up. You don't have to stand up. God, God doesn't need you to come up here this morning if, you, if you're making that decision. God sees all things. He knows your heart. He already knows if you're making that decision. But if that's you, I just, I just want you to bow your heads with me. And I want to pray a special prayer for you this morning. And I just, want, I just want you to just, you don't even have to say any words in your prayer. You just have to say, God, here I am. Here I am. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are we're thankful that we have the witness of your scriptures to help lead us along the path of life. God, it's a difficult message for me and for my friends here that in order for this life to be the one you've created for us, we actually have to take responsibility and we have to take initiative. I pray for my friends this morning who are opening up their hearts to you, Lord, who are tired of the way their life has been going, who are tired of the person they've allowed themselves to become, who are wanting for you to fill their heart. I pray for each one of my friends who are opening their hearts to you this morning, God. We know that it pains you when we don't live up to who you've called us to be. And so give us courage, give us strength, give us perseverance, give us this audacity to live a life that you're calling us to this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you.